Everybody ready? Uh, we have, like I mentioned, uh, Brother Tony Cook with us. For many of us, he's not a strange voice. Uh, but, uh, but for others, you may have not been a part of He's been to our church many times over the years. And uh, uh, his, his ministry has spanned more than 40 decades, even though he's only 39. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and he has a, a vast depth of experience and just really giftedness from the Lord uh, in teaching the Word. And, and, and I believe you'll hear things and, and have insight into areas that, that you didn't before or at least be moved to act on things. And his ministry goes around the world. I believe if I have the numbers right, 30 nations, about 30 nations, and most of the United States, and from churches to Bible schools, including Life Bible College last night, which was outstanding. And uh, by the way, those thinking about going to Bible college next year, you get added bonus of outstanding experienced ministers that come in that the rest of the church doesn't get. They only get one night of it. But you get three nights of it. All right. And uh, uh, now where was I? I was trying to introduce. He'll tell you about his books and stuff and some of the things God's doing, but he's using him tremendously. He's, he's kind of like, I like to say this sometimes, a pastor to pastors. Because part of his ministry is to uh, encourage and resource and help pastors do a good job in, in reaching people. So let's welcome Brother Tony Cook tonight. Come on. Thank you. Well, I so love and appreciate Pastor Mark and Amy. They were my students way back when. And uh, so to come and see the fruit of their labor and what God's put on their heart for Boise and beyond is just a, a tremendous blessing to me. And so thank you for the privilege of being able to minister here at Life Church. Uh, I could go on and on about how many things I'm impressed about with this church. Uh, many of the staff I've met, great people, the Bible school, and I know there's so many parts I don't know, but one thing I'm especially impressed about tonight is what this platform did. <laughs> Pastor Mark got up here and he had like this, and the pulpit was here, and I'm thinking, I I'm not as skinny as him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, George Jetson, you know, the, 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 you, your hover platform begins moving out. And uh, so I'm impressed with this tonight. And uh, so glad I'm not pinned against, you know, like it started. Ah, it's so good to be with you. Uh, Pastor Mark mentioned our books. Could we throw that first slide up? I just want you to see what we've got uh, kind of percolating and going on. Um, I, I, never, I never had an English teacher say, oh, you, you've got the potential to be a writer or anything like that. Just after probably 20, well, around 22, 23 years into ministry, a few books dropped into my heart. And then they just kept coming. And the center stack that you're looking at are our books in English. And the stacks on the left and the right are the foreign translations. And those are the ones we're especially uh, thankful for. In addition to the languages mentioned there, we have a new book out in Turkish. We have a, a, a couple of books coming out very shortly in Hindi and Nepali, and, uh, and it just blesses us a whole bunch. If, you're, if you are not part of the Bible school, the book that I'm teaching from there is called The End of Spectator Church. And uh, so we do have some copies of that. A, a book that will tie into tonight's message is a book called Relationships Matter. How many of you know relationships are huge? And I, I actually, in that part, it's, a small, it's one of the small books up on top of that center stack. It's a real small book, but it talks about Paul and not just the good relationships he had, but the really challenging relationships he had, and then some of the toxic relationships he had to deal with. Um, the book's called Relationships Matter. I almost called it uh, Relationships, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> And um, I, we do recommend that book, especially for people that say, I love God, but I really don't like people. So um, 
but that's just, that's just another one of them. The next slide, uh, we've recently had several of our books go into Audible, so if you prefer to listen rather than to um, uh, read or, or both, but you enjoy listening to books, we've got uh, seven of those are on Audible right now. One of them is in production right now. So anyway, hey, let's pray before we jump into the Word. Father, thank you for this time together. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, Lord, we realize it's because of Him that we have a covenant with you and we have a, a vital relationship with one another. Lord, you've put us together in the body of Christ to be a family and to be an army and, and to be a team and, and not just, Lord, to receive personal blessings, although we thank you that that's part of it, but Lord, you put us together in relationships for us to encourage one another, challenge one another, uh, comfort, pray for one another, and Lord, that we can grow together into the fullness of who you've called us to be, and we want to thank you for it in Jesus' name, and thank you for transformed lives tonight. Thank you for allowing your word and your spirit to penetrate deep into our hearts and, and affect lasting change uh, from the inside out uh, by the Spirit of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Well, I want to put up a couple scriptures here, first of all. Um, this first one is very popular. Um, you know, I'm from a background. I, I taught at the Bible school, uh, you know, worked at Rhema for many years. And, you know, the big theme is faith. And how many of you know faith is important? Uh, the Bible says we're saved by faith and that we live by faith, that we walk by faith, and that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So anybody that ever tries to minimize faith, don't do that. Uh, the Bible, you know, strongly communicates how powerful faith is. And this is one of the verses that uh, when we're people of faith, we love this verse, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, that says, with God, what? With God, all things are possible. How many of you like that? You know, some people are, they're kind of optimistic, but they don't really have a foundation for their optimism. And, uh, you know, we're not just called to be cheery, hopeful people, but we're called to understand that we have a God who created the universe and that uh, there is nothing too difficult for Him and that He is for us. And, uh, and that with Him, all things are possible. How many of you just find hearing those words encouraging to you? That you're never going to face any circumstance, any situation in life that is bigger than your God. With God, all things are possible. But then we run into the second verse that's up there. And it, it, at first glance, it kind of seems to contradict. Because Jesus said, with God all things are possible. But then Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible. Well, how many of you know an if kind of tends to undermine an exclamation point? With God, all things are possible. We tend to love that verse in the Bible, but I'm not sure everybody likes the next one as much if it's possible. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So it seems like Jesus is saying all things are possible, but then Paul's saying, well, maybe not everything, you know. And, and, but can I tell you something? I've been studying the Bible for 46 years uh, intensively, and I am persuaded that there are absolutely no contradictions in the Bible. I am convinced that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and that the Holy Spirit worked upon those who held the pens in such a way that what they wrote is trustworthy and reliable, and, and it is the Word of God. So I don't believe there are any contradictions in the Bible, but I know for a fact that there are many contradictions in people's minds in terms of how they read the Bible. Or as the Bible is perfect, our reading of the Bible or our understanding of the Bible is not always perfect. But let's just establish this. God's Word is true. 
So how do these two scriptures not contradict? Well, you have to understand Jesus and Paul are talking about two really different things here. Jesus says, with with God, all things are possible. Who is Paul talking about? If it's possible, live peacefully with all men or people. Jesus is talking about God. Paul's talking about people. With God, all things are possible. With people, not so much. When it comes to dealing with, here's another way to summarize that. If you look at these two verses together, here's one truth we derive from that. God is a lot easier to get along with than a whole bunch of people. (laughs) With God, all things are possible, but with people, maybe you can get along with them, maybe you can't. And the key there is, Paul said, as much as it depends on you. How many of you know we have a lot to do with how relationships go, but you know, no matter how wonderful a person is, you might think, well, well, if you're a good enough person, you can just get along with anybody. Well, the problem with that is Jesus, when he was born, uh, an angel appeared to Joseph and, and said, Herod wants to kill this baby, your, your son. I mean, we know Jesus was the son of God, but uh, Joseph was his adoptive father, as it were. Uh, Herod wants to kill Jesus, but just try to get along. Just, you know, try to be nice to Herod and maybe, no, he said, you take your child and you get out of the country and you go to Egypt and don't you come back until that guy that wants to kill your son is dead. That's why Paul said, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, because there are some situations that, um, uh, we may be willing to get along, but if another person, you know, when, when Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, first got saved, he went from being the greatest persecutor of the church. He was full of hatred, and all of a sudden he meets Jesus, and he's born again, and now he begins preaching Jesus as the Savior. The one who tried to destroy the church has now become one of its, you know, uh, uh, protégés in terms of gospel proclamation. And the people that liked Saul of Tarsus hated Paul the Apostle. And before he ever gets out of Damascus, you know, he had that conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Before he even gets out of the city, they plotted to kill him. And you know what the disciples there did? They said, Paul, we're going to get you out of town. You, You can't reason with these people. These people are bent on destroying you. They're, they're, they're toxic to the point of being murderous. And the Bible says they put Paul in a basket and they let him down over the city wall. Back then all the cities had these fortified walls around them and they let him down over the wall in a basket and Paul got away and with his life. So it's not always possible to have a, a good relationship with somebody. With God, all things are possible, but with people, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you. Now, when when you're born again, when you've accepted Jesus into your life as your Savior and, and trust in Him, there's something that happens in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's called the new birth. And the Bible says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts And one of the keys to spiritual maturity and Christian growth is learning how to allow the love of God to dominate you. Uh, We still have flesh, okay? And, and, uh, you know, we can still, uh, if if we are not, you know, relying on the Holy Spirit and, and walking in the fruit of the Spirit, we can still get into the flesh and get into strife and, and, you know, even bitterness and, and uh, arguments, ugly arguments and things of that nature. Um, and, and our goal is to uh, really demonstrate 
the love of God in our relationships. You know, if you go back through the Bible, one of the things that you see, how many of you know the Bible is, it is the most honest book in the world? It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't candy coat anything. It doesn't try to make the, the heroes of the Bible out to be something. I mean, it's really honest about people's sins and mistakes and failures and that type of thing. But one thing we know about the Bible, if you study it from the standpoint of let's just study human relationships from the Scripture, you find out that the story of human relationships is pretty sad. You know, start in the first couple pages of the Bible and Adam is blaming Eve. God said, Adam, did you eat? And he said, the woman that you gave me. And, you know, people have been blaming each other and, and not accepting responsibility and, you know, quick to throw somebody else under the bus instead of accepting personal responsibility ever since. Tragically, their first son, their firstborn killed their second son. We later see Abraham and his servants and Lot's servants, his nephew, Boy, they couldn't get along with each other. They were in strife. And then we have Isaac and Ishmael. They have a big falling out. And then we have Jacob and Esau, and they have a big falling out. And then we have Joseph and his brothers who sell him into slavery and then say, tell their dad that, you know, he got killed by a wild animal, lie and, you know, that type of thing. I mean, we just see these things absolutely all through the Bible. Job was tormented by the people who were supposed to be his friends. And when Job was at his most uh, painful, uh, grief-stricken moments of his life, they are pouring salt into his wounds and insulting him and condemning him. Uh, David had to dodge the spears of Saul. Uh, Elijah had to flee for his life from Jezebel's threats. Herod tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was just a baby. Uh, as an adult, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by one of his own disciples. Paul had a falling out with Barnabas and a face-to-face -face confrontation with the apostle Peter. And then there are two of the church leaders in Philippi, Yodi and Syntyche, and Paul said, tell these two uh, leaders in the church to settle their differences and, and to establish harmony in their relationship so the church can be at harmony. And so we just you know, have to look at the fact, what, what chance do we have of having good relationships? What chance do we have you know, when, when there's so much uh, in world history, in Bible history, of, of you know, even people that we respect and hold in such high esteem that, that had conflict and that type of thing. And I really believe this is why Paul said, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Uh, we live in a world right now, I, I've lived, you know, Pastor Mark was very generous at his 39, you know, and in the context of thousands of years, he was very close, but, you know, um, but, but more specifically, you know, I've lived 64 years now, and, uh, you know, I go back and read newspaper articles from 20 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever, and they were all saying the same things we're saying now. Oh, the world's falling apart. And people are, te there, there was this amazing article about how teenagers are just so rebellious and, and that type of thing, and it was just, and I thought, well, I'm just reading something from some, no, it was from like, you know, 200 A.D., you know, that they were complaining about the rebellious teenagers, the in disrespectful and that type of thing. And I'm not trying to, you know, minimize anything. How many of you know we live in a very sin-sick world? But sin has been making the world sick for a long time. And Jesus said that in the last days, uh, there will be so much lawlessness that men's hearts will grow cold. And how many people today, because of all the 
you know, just the, the different folks with different agendas and, and stirring up, you know, animosity and hatred and things like that. How many people are walking around in fear and in anger and in hostility and they're just, they're just mad at the world and people are just, you know, it kind of reminds me, I saw a few years ago, I was preaching in Alabama and I was in a Walmart of all places and I saw somebody had a t-shirt on that said, I have one nerve left. <laughs> and you're on it. I'll go to another checkout line. But how many people are just, you know, uh, just all the different factors? But that's, we're not called to be conformed to the world. We're called to be transformed. And you know, Jesus made this statement. He said, you know, we talk about missions and we talk about outreach and things like that. I know this church is very rich in all those things and thank God for it. But the ultimate witness to the world, Jesus said, he said there were two things. Number one, he said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And in John 17, Jesus prayed that we would have unity, the, the same unity that he and the Father have. Which, which is mind-blowing. But Jesus said, I pray that they will be one even as we are one. Then the world will believe and then the world will know. So if we just want to look at it real simply and basically, our greatest witness in the world, according to Jesus, will be our unity and our love toward one another. So what happens if I, as a Christian, am walking around with animosity, anger, hatred, judgmentalism, and all of those types of things? Let's look at something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. A guy came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, how many of you know there were, we, we think there were 10 commandments, and, and there were at one point, God put them into a list of 10, but, but there were really 613 commandments. And God kind of distilled it down to 10 primary, which we call the 10 commandments. How many of you know the 10 commandments are really awesome? Now, you're not gonna be saved by keeping them, but, but for, in terms of civil structure, and a moral compass and a, a mindset. I want my neighbor to believe in the Ten Commandments. Don't you? I want my neighbor to believe that it's wrong for him to kill me. I want my neighbor to believe it's wrong to steal my stuff. You know, but, but we have to do better than the Ten Commandments. Because if I say, oh, I, okay, I, I can't kill you, but I sure hate you. Well, see, the New Testament takes us into a different realm. See, under the Old Testament, I just couldn't kill you. That's why the New, Old Testament wasn't sufficient. Under the New Testament, it's not just that I can't kill you, it's that I have to love you. And that takes us into a proactive realm of blessing not just a withholding of hostility. So, so, but a guy came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Did Jesus answer his question? Look at it. Did Jesus answer his question? The guy said, which is the great commandment? Jesus said, this is the great commandment. He answered his question, right? But then Jesus added to the answer. How many of you know sometimes God gives you more than you ask for? And the second, well, the guy didn't ask for the second. The guy just asked for the one, but Jesus is going to add to it. Because in Jesus' mind, and I believe in the mind of God, the first and the second are so inextricably connected that you can't have the first without the second. Uh, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving your neighbor as yourself 
is somehow in tandem with that you love the Lord your God. So when, when we say love God, can you imagine a vertical line going up? Vertical, because we love God. But then Jesus said, and the second one like it is that you love your neighbor. What happens when you take a vertical line and then a horizontal line? We kind of call that a cross, right? And John said these two are so connected. He said in 1 John, if you say you love God but hate your neighbor, you are a liar. That's pretty strong stuff. So we have to really take time and examine our heart. In, the, in our heart, in our spirit, our new, uh, new creation, uh, regenerated spirit, where the Spirit of God dwells, the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart. But apparently somehow our flesh, and I'm not here to teach all that, but, but somehow we still have the capacity to get in the flesh and harbor all kinds of wrong thoughts and hostilities and you know resentments and things like that. So because God places such a high priority on us, on this particular issue, I think it's important for us once in a while to just do a heart check and, a, and an attitude check and a thought check. And how are we doing in our love walk? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He said, now remember, he's talking to Old Testament Christians. So they would go to the temple, they would take their turtle dove or their lamb, and they would present it as an offering for their sins and things like that. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 23, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Now, if I was writing this or speaking this, you know, because how many of you know God said, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. He said, my ways are higher than yours. So sometimes we have to say, you know, God in my natural self, I thought it was this way, but this is how you say it is. And if it doesn't matter what I feel, what I think, if you say this is what it is, this is what it is. So I'm going to surrender my thinking. But see, I would have said, now look, if, you, if you're going to church or the temple, Old Testament, if you're going to the temple to render an offering, and man, you've already gotten there, and you suddenly remember that somebody has something against you, well, uh, write a note. Put it on your to-do list for tomorrow. That, yeah, you've got to call so-and-so and make it right. But you're already at the temple. You've already got your animal you know, just go ahead and worship God because God's first, right? Everybody else is second. Just worship God first and then later, when, when you can, contact that person and try to smooth things out. That would be my natural thinking. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, if you've gone to the altar, if you've gone to the temple and you've got your animal to hand over to the priest for sacrifice, and suddenly you remember that there's a fracture in a relationship. Probably, you know, maybe you've done something to bring offense or, or, or you've done something that would cause them to be harboring unforgiveness. Jesus said, you just stop right there. You leave your gift at the altar and you go and get it right with that person. And then you come back and offer your sacrifice to God. I think God's really serious about this. You say, but, but, but you don't understand, Brother Cook. This person, they won't have anything to do with me. They won't take my calls. They, I've tried to call and apologize. And it, well, then we go to Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peace. So if you've done everything you can do to reconcile a situation and the other person won't have anything to do with it, then you're, you're free in the matter. But, but if there is some business left undone where you have offended someone, done something against somebody, God wants us to make it right. Let's look over at a very famous uh, verse. Uh, this is Brother Hagen's life verse. 
Mark 11:22 through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. For assuredly, I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in his heart that those, uh, that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I mean, those three verses are so foundational and so paramount to understanding. When I was a super young minister, um, I'll tell you who it was with, but I got in an argument with another minister and uh, he, had, he had kind of ticked me off because he said something kind of against Brother Hagin. That, and I was just fresh out of Bible school. And, you know, I took him to task and we argued back and forth. And, and uh, everybody here would know this person's name if I said it. And, and uh, he didn't like what Brother Hagin taught about, you know, you can have what you say. And finally, I told this, this uh, other minister, I said, look, Jesus is the one that said, if you speak to the mountain and you believe in your heart that what you say will come to pass, you will have whatever you say. I said, if you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with Brother Hagen. You have a problem with Jesus. Drop the mic. I felt so spiritual and, you know, God was probably shaking his head and said, children, children, children. <laughs> but the problem is, now Brother Hagen didn't stop reading there. He'd keep reading. Mark eleven twenty five. and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven Forgive your trespasses. You say, well, Jesus couldn't have meant that. Well, he said that. <laughs> if you're waiting for me to explain that away so it makes you feel better, I can't do it. I think we need to look at that and say, yes, sir. Yes, Lord Jesus. Now, have your feelings ever argued and said, but I don't feel like forgiving that person? You know, that type of thing. You know, this, this gets so, um, I, I tell this, I'm, I'm embarrassed about this. We, we were talking at lunch today about some of our driving habits, and there's something about a man being behind the wheel of a car that just, it just reaches in and really stirs up the flesh, gets us leaning toward carnality. Any of you wives want to say, yeah? <laughs> Listen, if you can be sanctified behind the wheel of a car. Now, I had a problem a few years ago. I never was into road rage. You know, I never wanted to get out and punch somebody out or anything like that. But I had a problem with, and, and, and it was in every city, you know, my wife and I travel all over and, and that type of thing. And, of course, thank God for GPS today. But how many of you know GPS sometimes isn't right? You know, it'll. And um, so GPS, okay, yeah, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated with that. But I'll tell you who really ticked me off. And it was like I called him the sign guy. The sign guy is in every city and he's the one that has the signs that tell you where to go and where to turn. And I don't know what it is, but I just had this amazing knack of always being on a road where the sign was misplaced or the sign wasn't, you know, wasn't there early enough and you couldn't get over in the right lane or they had, um, you know, maybe the sign was okay, but there were tree branches and, and, and I would be driving and, and my wife, she is so sweet. She's just the most, you know, kind, peacemaking type person. And, uh, and, and it just would happen just enough 
that I would say, oh, the sign guy messed up again. And at first it was cute. At first it was kind of funny. Oh, Tony's upset at the sign guy. And then it just kind of went on. And, and again, I don't mean to communicate that I'm just in a rage all the time. It, was, it might just be once a month or once every two months. But, but I, I, I'd have to say, the sign guy. Why is it always the sign guy ruining my life, messing things up? And, and you know, after several months of that, my wife said, you know, you may really want to check your heart. You may really want to check your attitude about the sign guy. You're, you're tending to take this more and more personally. And it was, it was creating a little bit of an unpleasant atmosphere in the car sometimes because I'd go off on the sign guy. And you know what? You know, honestly, Pastor Mark, I don't know if you have this. I'm not going to ask you publicly, but it really, it kind of ticks me off when my wife is right. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there's the, the flesh, the flesh, this ego thing has this pride that doesn't want to admit I'm wrong. And, and, and honestly, this may sound trivial and ridiculous and that type of thing, but I really think the Holy Spirit dealt with me about my attitude and just riling up about the sign guy. And so we'd come across that, and my wife would look at me because she knew I was thinking about the sign guy. And I'd look at her and I'd say, God loves the sign guy. <laughs> and, then, and then I'd say, God bless the sign guy. And then I, I actually got to saying, the sign guy's mother thinks he's wonderful. <laughs> I still had some feelings, but... But what I was doing was I, was I was not allowing my flesh to, you know, get into the ugly of it. And, um, and, and really, now honestly, uh, we, I still may have a, a momentary flash of wanting to go off on the sign guy, but my wife and I now laugh at it because I just say, God loves the sign guy so much. God bless all the sign guys in the world. <laughs> Let's look at something a little more serious here. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You know, I think the ultimate test of spirituality is not how we act at church with people we see once in a great while. Because everybody can put on a front when you're around people that you're just with casually, superficially, and things like that. But I believe our ultimate spirituality is demonstrated by how we act when we're at home with the people we're with more than anyone else. And, and I came to this decision many, many years ago because there is such a temptation to put on a front for the public that, you know, you're cheery, happy, and everything's wonderful, and then not act very nice at home. And I just decided years ago, I'm never going to act in my home in a way that I wouldn't act in the pulpit. If, if I'm going to be kind to strangers, I'm going to be kinder to my wife. Now, in 1 Peter 3, 7, there's, there's a really significant principle here. Peter says, in the same way, he's been talking about how wives are to respect their husbands. How many of you know our, our marriages, our relationships should all be involve mutual respect and mutual honor? Um, Peter says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Let's just camp on that for a minute. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. When I got married, I was 20 years old. I was the youngest of four boys. I did not have any sisters. I, my family was very, very much into sports and that type of thing, so I didn't really date in high school much to speak of. I just hadn't had many you know, female relationships to speak of. When I got married at the age of 20, uh, I thought I knew my wife. I found out later, I didn't know her at all. <laughs> she thought she knew me. She didn't know me at all. We were both in for all kinds of surprises.
And, you know, some of the things that happened is the, the way I related to my brothers, the way I related to people I played sports with, all of a sudden I found out that does not work. <laughs> and, and I just, you know, a few years into marriage, I thought, she is so different than me. And, and so I did what you know, many husbands will do. I thought, well, if I just change her, then we'll have unity. That didn't work either. And so all these differences and, you know, and I would think, why do you see it that way? It's not, it's, it's this way, because I just assume the way I see it is the right way and that type of thing. And so this, when Peter says, uh, what did he say? Treat your wife with understanding. That to me was a decades long challenge <laughs> to understand my wife. I'm growing in that area. We, we will celebrate 44 years together this June. We, thank you. We, we, we love each other. We like each other. But still, we, have, we still have, we're, there are certain hardwire issues that you're just going to see things and process things. Um, I've taught many times that there's one, one New Testament promise about marriage. If you know of a second, tell me, because I, I can only find one. Now, there's many commandments and instructions, but there's only one New Testament promise about marriage. It's in 1 Corinthians 7, and it says, those who marry will have trouble in the flesh. <laughs> You don't have to believe for it. You don't have to confess it. Just, you know, you, you've got unique personalities and, and that type of thing. And I'm not trying to give you the impression that my wife and I have World War III all the time. We don't. We have relatively peaceful, but, but we constantly have to uh, listen to each other and consider each other and prefer one another and, and things like that. Because if you don't, if you don't uh, treat your wife with understanding as you live together, now notice what he says. He says, she may be weaker than you. Now, I will say this. Number one, I believe that my wife is 100% equal with me in terms of value, uh, in terms of God's love, but we are different in terms of personality, perspectives, strengths. You know, I can tell you all kinds of areas. She is way better than me. But there's some areas where I'm, I do certain things better than her. So she may be weaker than me, but she is your equal partner. Boy, it's so important to understand that. She's my equal partner. God doesn't love me more than she loves her. I'm not superior to her. She's not inferior to me. I do better with certain jobs around the house. She does better with the checkbook and many detailed things. She has strengths, I have strengths. She has weaknesses, I have weaknesses. But in the areas where she may be weaker than me, I have to give her honor. See, when somebody is weaker than you in an area, that's not cause for berating them, belittling them, condemning them. You know, if somebody is weaker than you, then you graciously give your strength to lift that person in that area. Paul says, she may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her, what does it say? Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, do you want me to explain why Peter really didn't mean what he said? Because I can't. I really believe that when you look at all these verses, that loving your neighbor as yourself is, is in the eyes of God. It's just like loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And I really believe that if our faith is going to work like Mark eleven twenty two 22 through 24 says it can, 
that we also have to be walking in Mark 11, 25 and 26. And I also believe that um, if, if I am disrespectful or dishonoring to my wife, I'm not just causing a problem in that relationship, but I'm putting up some kind of hindrance in my relationship with God. The Bible indicates that if I don't treat my wife with honor, that my prayers can be hindered. Because that's, she's not just my wife, she's God's daughter. Now, Job had a really interesting experience, Job 42.10. We're going to wrap this up in just a few seconds here. But in Job chapter 42, verse 10, man, Job went through everything. He, uh, he lost family, his business, his health. Um, you know, and, and we criticize Job because, well, he didn't do certain things theologically right, but he was a contemporary of Abraham. He was not part of the Jewish line. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a covenant with God. You know, he, he was, uh, you know, in many ways so disadvantaged when he went through that horrific satanic attack. But his friends came and said all kinds of horrible things to Job. You're not suffering nearly as much as you should. You're obviously a sinner and God is punishing you. And I mean, they're just, you know, when he needed some friendship and kindness and support, these friends, so-called, listen, with friends like that, you don't need the devil. <laughs> and, and Job was so hostile. And, you know, Job just, you know, said all kinds of horrible things back to them. And when Job finally got a revelation of who God was and his eyes were opened, it's interesting because Job said, God, now, this is late in the book, he said, God, now that I see you, I'm going to shut up because I've said all kinds of things about you that aren't right. And God said, yeah, you and your three friends. He said, they've said things about me that aren't right. And, and, and God said, I want you to. So it's interesting, at the end of the book of Job, Job says that he talked about things he didn't know what he was talking about. And God said his three friends said things that they didn't know what they were talking about. So the book of Job is primarily a theological argument between four people who didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> And yet people go there to get their theology. No, they, they, at the end of the book, you find out they didn't know what they were talking about. Go to the Gospel of John and get your theology. Go to Jesus and get your theology. Go to the New Testament. Find out who God is. But, but they had hurt. I mean, they had injured him so badly, emotionally, verbal abuse, whatever you want to call it. And the Bible said, and God said, pray for your friends. Pray for them? How about if I pray that you kill them? I'll pray that. <laughs> no, God said, pray for them. And you know what happened? And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I'm telling you, so many times... If when we get it right on the horizontal, it's amazing what opens up in the vertical. Let me share one verse in closing. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, heal the sick. The word can be healed just as much as saved. The prayer of faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And what's that next word? And if, boy, if is a big word. If he has committed sins. Do you know there are some people that believe that any time a person is sick, it's because there's a sin in their life? This little verse blows that out of the water. Because James doesn't say, and since he's obviously committed a sin. Now, he's not talking about sin in general, because everybody's sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he's talking about a specific sin that would result in a specific illness. 
And James says, if he has committed sins, which maybe he has, but maybe he hasn't. And since he has, if he has committed sins, he shall be forgiven. And then it goes on, verse 16 is so powerful. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now, I want you to notice, remember the vertical, our relationship with God, and the horizontal, our relationship with one another? This starts primarily focusing on our relationship with God. God heals the sick. But then at the end of it, it says, if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your faults to God? Is that what it say? Confess your faults to God? It says, confess your faults to one another. And pray for one another that you might be healed. See, this brings us into the vertical. Sometimes we're looking to God in the vertical, and God's wanting us to get something right on the horizontal. Now, does that mean you just need to go around telling everybody all your faults all the time? No, it doesn't mean that. This is written in a very specific context. Brother Hagen told the story about a church that had a building program going on. It had a very wealthy man in the church who gave probably more money than everybody else put together. He got offended and upset because the church, the team that was on the building t team, whatever, they decided to build a different kind of structure than what he wanted. And since they didn't honor what he wanted, he got offended and said, well, I'm not going to come to this church anymore. I'm not going to give to this church anymore. And he, you know, full of unforgiveness, went around this small town, trashing the pastor, trashing the church, saying all kinds of horrible things about the Christians in that church. And uh, he got sick. I'm not saying that everybody that gets sick, it's because, you know, they've done some horrible thing like that. But this guy did. He got sick. And on his, what really was his deathbed, he's flipping through the Bible. And he's wanting God to do something for him. And you know what he reads? James chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And if he has committed, and he said, well, I sure have committed a sin here. If he has committed sins, he shall be forgiven. Confess your faults oh, to one another that you might be healed. So he calls his wife, call the pastor, call the, the leaders, have them come to the house, have them bring oil and that type of thing. So they come. He, I mean, by this time, he just looks like he's on death's door because he's really, I mean, he's, he's really very close to death. And he confesses his sin to the pastor and to the team and and he says, I've gossiped about you all over town. I've been holding bitterness and unforgiveness against you. And, and uh, he said, you know, he read that verse to the pastor. He said, Pastor, anoint me with oil. Pray for me. The pastor was so excited to hear that kind of repentance, heartfelt repentance coming out, that he took his bottle of oil. And normally you take a dip and, you know, put a little. The pastor was, he just pulled the lid off and dumped the whole <laughs> dumped the whole bottle of oil on this guy's head. Well, oil represents the Holy Spirit. And the power of God hit this man in that bed. He threw his sheets off, jumped out of bed in his pajamas, and danced all around the room completely healed. Because he got it right on the his relationships with people, God was able to flow vertically and bring that blessing into his life. That's what happened with Job. You know, so we can just, you know, kind of cultivate and explore this. Now, what I don't want anybody to do is start this hyper introspection. You know, if the Lord, if the Holy Spirit doesn't show you something and bring something to your heart, don't just assume that this is what's holding back some blessing in your life. But listen, if the Holy Spirit, you know, addresses you, you know, about something, you've been holding unforgiveness against a person, then that's something to go to work with, with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you. Y your word is so clear, 
so pure, it's so crisp. It's like a two-edged sword that, that can cut healing into our lives. And Father, I just pray for your people here at Life Church. And, and Lord, if there are people here tonight that, that have been holding, you know, things against people, Lord, we're absolutely not telling anybody to go back into some toxic, abusive relationship. But Lord, we want to have our hearts right. And, and we want to um, not be carrying any bitterness, ill will, unforgiveness, of any kind toward anybody. Because Lord, we believe that according to your word, that if we're loving our neighbor as ourself, that's, that's a super big part of the equation of loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Lord, I just pray for your people right now. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to address them. And if their conscience is clear, if their heart is clear, if they say, you know, I, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting my wife. I'm not holding anger, hostility toward anybody. I'm not, I'm not even mad at the sign guy. You know, Lord, my heart's just clear. I, I, want, I, I just want to love everybody. I want to see everybody blessed. I, I'm not going to be hateful toward people I disagree with politically. You know, I, I'm just going to, Lord, I just want to walk in love. I want to see everybody I may not be able to have a great relationship with everybody because sometimes it's not possible. But Lord, in the depth of my heart, I don't want to have any ill will. I don't want to have any resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. And I just wonder right now, I'd just like to lead you through a little thing. How many people here tonight would say, you know what, Brother Cook, as you've been speaking about this, the Holy Spirit has quickened something to my heart about a situation, something maybe I've been holding you know, resentment, self, maybe I've been in self-pity, blaming other people, you know, different things. But I just want to, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to flood my heart right now and just cleanse me of that junk. I, I want to just put this thing at the altar. And, 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 and this isn't an invitation to get right with God, although ultimately it helps us walk more closely with Him. This is an invitation to, to get it right just in your own heart toward other people. How many with uplifted hand would say, you know what, there's something I need to forgive tonight. There's somebody that I need to release. The word forgive means to release. And it doesn't mean your feelings change immediately. Our feelings can take a while to catch up. But let me see your hand, hold them up real high. I'm looking, there's, there's dozens of hands all over this place. You know, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that we are to forgive others as we have been forgiven. So let's just all pray this out loud. Say, Dear God, you have forgiven me of so much. You sent Jesus to carry the totality of my sin. And in your mercy, you just poured out forgiveness toward me. You're not holding anything over my head. You're, you're not, you, you, the Bible says you're not even remembering my sins. And Lord, you've instructed me to forgive others the way that you've forgiven me. Lord, those people that I may have held things against, Jesus, you carried their sin just like you carried my sin. And just like I want my sin totally released, Lord, I'm releasing that person of their offense against me. I just ask that my heart, that my soul be filled with and overflowing with the love of God and that I will not have any bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, ill will toward anyone. I want my heart to be light. I want my heart to be joyful. I don't want to carry the poison of unforgiveness because I don't want the spiritual ramifications. I don't want any physical ramifications from it. I want to be free. So Jesus, I release that right now. 
Now, all over this place, if that's you or, or not, if you've been believing God for healing, there could be people here tonight that that's been exactly what's hindered your healing. I'm not saying in every case, but let's just lift our hands right now. Father, we, we have uh, released people right now in the name of Jesus in forgiveness. And so, Father, I pray that healing power would flow in this place. Lord, we see so many times in the Bible and we've seen so many practical examples that when people got things right relationally, that healing flowed and, and things that had been hindering and afflicting them for some time just were healed. And so, Father, we believe you right now for the healing power of God to flow into people's lives. And, and Lord, not just physically, but, but relationally. Lord, let peace come into relationships where maybe people were just, you know, just they've just had that low-grade grumbling against people, that uh, low-grade resentment and, and uh, unforgiveness, Lord. We just pray for healing in relationships and healing in people's lives in the totality of who they are. Father, we just thank you and we believe that we're going to receive reports of people who were healed this night and, and relationships that began to move in a healing process just by this simple act of obeying the Word of God and operating in the realm of forgiveness. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to be closing in a minute, but I want to do something that's so important. Because the most important relationship that we can have, Jesus said the great commandment is that we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And there may be people here today, and maybe you've believed in God, you know, maybe religiously, you know, maybe somewhat casually, you know, but you've kind of done your own thing and, you know, you, 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 you enjoyed having some religious elements of your life. But to be honest, you've never really surrendered your whole life to God. Um, you've kind of done your thing and maybe a little bit his thing. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God doesn't want us living with one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God. He wants us to be totally and completely sold out to him. And there may be people here tonight that you have never fully surrendered your life to God through Jesus Christ. Um, maybe you've mentally believed in Him, uh, but I'm going to tell you what, the devil mentally believes in God. The devil mentally believes in Jesus. Uh, it's not enough to mentally believe in God, mentally believe in Jesus. We need to trust in Him with all of our heart. And, and, and be surrendered to Him entirely. I want to lead us in a prayer in just a second. And I want to find out, I want to know who in here tonight is saying, you know what, God's dealing with my heart. I need to give my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered my life to Him that way. Or maybe there's others who would say, you know what, I gave my life to God at one time, but I need to come back. I need to rededicate. I've not been living for God you know, the Bible talks about the prodigal son who went out and just did life on his own terms and played by his own rules and that type of thing. And he just realized, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in right standing with my father anymore. I need to come back and I need to get back to my father's house. How many people with uplifted hand? In just a second, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand so I'll know who I'm praying for. Uh, you know, if you've never accepted Jesus before, I'm talking to you tonight. If you've accepted the Lord, but you've been away from God and need to come back to Him and rededicate your life to God, let me see your hand right now all over this place. You need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Thank you. I see some hands back in the corner. Are there others with uplifted hand? Um, I'm looking. Thank you for that hand over here to the far left. I'm looking all over this place. Thank you, sir, right there. God bless you. I'm looking all over. Uh, there's another hand back in the far right from my vantage point. Are there others? What about in the center? Anybody in the center sections? Listen, this is the most wonderful opportunity because Jesus, he welcomes you. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
The Bible says there's, there's joy and there's a celebration in heaven when people who've been away from God all of a sudden say, God, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. Here's what I want you to do. Let's all stand up to our feet. I, I would count it the greatest honor and the greatest privilege if those that raised your hand or should have raised your hand will make your way out of where you're seated. And let me just have a word of prayer with you right here. Just come on and, and maybe they've got some music to play here in the meantime. But the different ones that raised your hand or if you didn't raise your hand but should have raised your hand. Uh, let's go ahead and come down. I see people coming from this direction, coming right here. Thank you. God bless you. Here's what I want you to do just as you're standing there. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, do you need to go down there? And if you do, I'll walk with you. Sometimes people just need a little nudge. Sometimes people just need a little nudge. Because that person may be sitting and saying, man, I need to go down there, I need to go down there. Listen, nobody needs to be embarrassed about anything. This is a this celebration when people give their hearts to God. So is anybody else coming? I'm looking all over this place. Anybody else coming? Guys, I want to thank you all for coming forward giving your life to Jesus, rededicating your life to God. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Giving your life to Jesus. Rededicating your life to God is just, it's, it's the stellar moment of your life. And um, I, I'm just so thankful to have the privilege. Actually, Pastor Mark, I'm going to ask you to come and pray. I'm going to have Pastor Mark pray with you because he's the local pastor here. I'm just a guest, I'm passing through, but this is the guy. I want you to not only give your life to Jesus, but if you don't have a great church home, um, and, and if you live in this area, I, I really encourage you to come back. The reason these crazy people are all clapping is because they've all had the joy of experiencing what you've, you're stepping into tonight, okay? So Pastor Mark, 